This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Good morning, Bellator Society. This is Tracy Eddy. Thank you for joining us today. I am traveling, and so I'm not in Phoenix, Arizona, but Brant is in Nashville, and she's got a special guest in her home, Miss Daisy Broughton-Murray. She is a teacher um, at Fran's church. She teaches um, confirmation classes, but she's also a nurse, and she's um, joining us to just have some more conversation with us about Um, just her experiences growing up in the South during segregation. Um, We all know that this is big in the news and and we're not past racism yet. And so we're going to learn some, some really interesting things and just, we're so honored to have you here sharing your story with us. So welcome both of y'all. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction, Tracy. I do want to say something before we get started on the interview. Um, I'm one of those kind of Catholic parents that scoff usually when someone tells me I have to enroll my children in a class at church because I feel like we raise our children in the faith. We live our faith in our home. We've homeschooled our children with very comprehensive Catholic curriculum. We, um, you know, we attend mass as we are obligated. And even when we're not obligated, we go to mass. And so whenever someone tells me you need to send your kid to a class, I get a little bristly and a little frustrated. And um, because of that, and also because of my pride and a host of other sinful tendencies and character (laughs) flaws that I have, I'm also very suspicious of people teaching my children the faith other than my husband and myself. And so I often show up in kids' classrooms when they're enrolled in, in these catechesis classrooms. And your class was one of them, Miss Daisy. And God is so good and wise and providential because I needed to be there because I realized that there are things that I can't teach my child. There are experiences that I have never had, will never have. And I happen to show up on a day where you told the most incredible stories about your experience of racism in the South, but also your generous heart towards hope and forgiveness, and uh, you educated my child in a way that I never could. And I just want to say on the front end of this interview, thank you. That's why you're here. <laughs> and so I want to I want to jump in. I want to jump in and um, hear about just your, your early life. Tell us about yourself. Okay. I was born in Franklin, which is about 14 miles south of Nashville. Uh, my mom is a convert to the faith. I always tell everybody, my grandmother raised 10 children. She was a primitive Baptist, but she raised nine Catholics. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I was baptized when, I guess, I'm trying to think, because I was little. I was probably, my, my sister was three, so that made me about five when I was baptized. And I was baptized at St. Philip's, which is the church in Franklin. But I, she was telling me about being Catholic in the South and being black uh, and being a female. That's three strikes right there. Yeah. You grew up with three strikes against you right there. But it, but it was kind of interesting because I teach a class called Social Justice with the seventh grade CCD program. That's the class that she happened to come in on when I was teaching it. 
In that class, I teach them what actually living that really meant. Right. And my father was in the service, okay? And he fought for this country, yet he was considered a second-class citizen. And as a kid, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp that. That made, you know, I was angry. I'm, I'm perfectly honest about it. I was angry. Well, if he can get shot at and he can get wounded and you still treat him like he's not a man, then that made me very angry as a child, growing up as a child. But I had a wise mom, and my mom told me, she said, you being angry hurts nobody but you. You learn to kick, if you can't get the wall down, you learn to kick it down. And that's, as we grew up, that's what we learned to do was kick down walls. But the story that she's talking about is I went to, this is, let me back up. This is how crazy I think segregation is. I told you I grew up in a little town, Franklin. We had one theater in town and it was of course segregated. The white people sat downstairs, the black people sat upstairs. Now, how dumb is this? You gonna put black people that don't like you upstairs? <laughs> we threw Coke down on them. We threw popcorn down on them. The usher would come up, we were the perfect children. <laughs> Never did anything. The kids get a big kick out of hearing me say that. Miss Daisy, you really, did, you really did that? Yes, I did it. But <laughs> as I grew older, I learned. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school in a little town called Powhatan, Virginia. And I doubt anybody knows where that is unless you're from Virginia. It's about 45 miles outside of Richmond. And I went to school under the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament, which were dedicated to the Blacks and the Indians, which still are dedicated to the Blacks and the Indians. And you're in the middle, we used to call Powhatan Little Mississippi, because we knew we grew up, we knew what was going on around us, but we, our school, was on a plantation, it was closed off. It was on a 500 acre plantation that you know people couldn't get to us, at least we thought they couldn't. And one morning, Mother Rose came around, everybody's gotta get up, get up, get up, and we're all going, has she gone crazy again? You know, nuns go crazy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody got up and put on the bathrobes and she said, come outside. And around our balcony, we were looking down. There was the Ku Klux Klan down there. You're talking mm -hmm. about 250 little girls mm -hmm. that were scared to death. If we'd have gone downstairs, all the rooms were on the top floor. It was called a castle because it was built like a castle. If we'd have gone downstairs, we would have run into these men that wanted to kill us. Well, you can't. What are you going to do? You're going to stand there. And when they started the fire, it was even worse. And Mother Rose was on the phone. She was trying to call the police, which she got no answer. Mm -hmm. And our boys' school was sent in the military academy. She got a hold of Father Figaro, and she told him what was happening. And they marched. They gave the boys their M16s, and they marched over the hill with a cannon. To this day, I do not know if those rifles were loaded, and I don't know if that cannon was loaded. Because every time we get together, nobody will tell us the truth. <laughs> but it scared them. It scared them away. The best kind of <laughs> but but it, we found out later, after we had federal troops in there. This was during the '60s. Mm -hmm. After we had federal troops that came into Virginia, we found out later the reason we couldn't get any police help 
was the chief of police was also the head of the Ku Klux Klan in that area. Wow. So, you know, as, as a young person, you get those images and perspectives. And like I told Francine, nobody can tell you. And if they do tell you they're lying, you're prejudiced about something, but it's how you handle that. And like, you know, I teach seventh grade confirmation. I could be really intimidating to seventh graders. I really could, I raised seventh graders. <laughs> but I try to tell the kids, you don't have to like somebody, but as Dr. King said, you have to love somebody. Everybody is a child of God, you have to love them. There's a whole bunch of people out there I do not like. Right. But I try to treat them the same way I want to be treated. And that's the thing that I try to teach young nurses too, because my husband always said, aren't you scared sometimes where you're going? Because he knows where I'm going. I said, no, I'm not really scared. He said, yeah, but you're the only black person there. I said, I treat them like I want to be treated. And that's, that's the kind of thing that you have to do. Um, and she was talking about us being Catholic. You know, I don't know what you know about the Nashville area, but Nashville has St. Vincent de Paul, which is a predominantly black Catholic church. The Catholic people in Nashville all went to one church. And this is something that I'll say in all honesty, I've been Catholic all my life. Uh, there were churches we weren't wanted in. Mm. Yeah. You know, Catholic churches. Yes, mm -hmm. there were Catholic churches we weren't wanted in. Father um, Cunningham, who baptized me, baptized my father. I will never forget. He was an English professor at Ryan. The church was really small then. <laughs> you asking about church experiences, mm -hmm. and uh, we were at mass one Sunday, and there were there were just three black families in my church when I grew up, and he taught the Taylor boys to be altar boys. And he got this letter from a lady, and he read the letter in church. Uh, this lady was telling him she, he shouldn't have colored boys on the altar. Mm -hmm. Not only did he read the letter, he corrected her punctuation, he corrected her spelling <laughs> and everything, you know, and stuff. That's and you awesome. had to know Father Cunningham. I mean, he was a very direct, <laughs> you knew Father Arnold. He was worse than Father Arnold, okay, <laughs> and uh, direct. And he, and he ended it by saying, you could have heard a pin drop in that church. He said, if anybody cannot love anybody that's in this church, then you should leave. Three people got up and left. No. And Father said, then they needed to leave. Oh, my heavens. Yep. How did that make you feel? How old were you? I was about nine. I mean, I... It, did you know the people that left the church? No. Okay. No. Um, I, it, it made me feel very proud at that time mm. that somebody else took the time to honor that we were a part of that church. Mm. We were a part of that. We were a founding part of that church. Mm -hmm. My dad is not Catholic. And to this day, anybody that's old enough said, oh, yes, Robert was Catholic. He belonged to the men's club. He had built a church. He barbecued. He did everything. Mm -hmm. But the rule in my house was you didn't send your children to church. You go to church with mm -hmm. your children. Mm -hmm. And he, he was Baptist, by the way, but he went to mass every Sunday. Wow. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting. And then when I left to go to high school, 
I never lived in Franklin again after I left to go to high school until I came back. Um, well, I've been back, Robert's 31, so I've been back 20, some, uh, 30 some years mm -hmm. yeah, and stuff. And, and you meet it everywhere. You know, we talk about inherent racism. Mm -hmm. Things have changed, but I listen to people who tell me they, they didn't live it. If you, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to walk in somebody else's shoes is what I tell people a lot of times. I have friends that are of all races and all religions, but I said, you know, if you ever saw a sign that said white only, mm -hmm. what would that sign have done to you? There were plenty of signs that said white only. Mm -hmm. And like when we went to the movies, there was no place we could go to the bathroom. We had to come downstairs, go across the street, Mr. Redmond, was a very wealthy black man in Franklin and he owned a restaurant down to downtown. So all the kids went to Mr. Redmond's to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. If we wanted something to eat, Mr. Redmond always said, I, I've made you some popcorn. You know, he knew my parents and stuff. Because you couldn't buy the popcorn at no, the movie theater? No, we couldn't eat. We couldn't buy stuff at the concession stand. Uh -huh. No. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. So Mr. Redmond always on a Saturday, if he knew all the kids were coming to a madness, he knew everybody, everybody in Franklin knew everybody. Yeah. He'd have that big thing of popcorn made for all the kids and he'd make us sodas in, in uh, containers we could take up. That's how we got the popcorn to throw at people. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, make, he'd make it so we would have containers to do that. Uh -huh. But it, but even as, as a nurse and stuff, I, the story that my kids love to hear more than anything else is I went to nursing school at Cook County in Chicago. And I went to nursing school during the 60s. I went to nursing school during the time that Dr. King was killed and all of that. We had a patient come into the emergency room and this patient had been stabbed and he had a multiracial team taking care of him but I happened to be the senior student nurse who was taking care of him. And they, they had to go draw the blood, take the blood to the lab. Back then, we didn't have all this elaborate stuff that we have now, typing and cross-matching blood. You went to the lab, you made sure it was typing and cross-matching, you brought it back to give to the patient. And I was getting ready to hang that blood and he looked at me and he said, it's that nigga blood or white blood. I said, bastard, you can die today. And I walked out of the emergency room. And I got halfway down the hall and my instructor said, you will go back and hang that blood, I said, over my dead body. And I stood there and God said something to me. And I, I firmly believe this had to be God intervening. He said, what are you doing? That's what happened in my head. What are you doing? You took an oath to take care of people. You can't do that. I went back in, I hung the blood. Man got okay. He apologized afterwards. Did he, he asked to see he asked to see that nurse that gave him that blood. <laughs> it, saved <laughs> his, it saved his life. I mean, you know, but I think about that even today. Mm. And I, I I tell the kids that was a God moment mm -hmm. because I was so angry. I mean, I really wanted the man to die at that point. Mm -hmm. yeah. You don't ask me something like that, and I'm trying to save your life. So you it's know, visceral, like you, it's, it's a reflexive. It, when someone hates you, you want to hate them back. <laughs> but, but the thing is, and you guys talking about being Christian, mm -hmm. I think that has played a big part 
in my nursing service. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have been told I'm going to die and go to hell. I guess all of y'all know Catherine's going to die and go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) My mom tells people when they tell her that, my mom's 89. She has dementia now, but she's a retired nurse practitioner. My mom used to tell people when when she told them they were Catholic that she was going to die and go to hell. She said, well, don't worry about it. I'll just meet your grandmama down there and we'll have a good time. I'll save you a seat. <laughs> so, so, you know, but it, but it is interesting. I told you that's three strikes. Yeah, I'm like, Catholic, yeah. I'm black, and I'm a woman. Yeah, man. <laughs> when we grew up, that was, that was three strikes against mm-hmm. us, just, just like that. It, 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 it's really funny in today's world, though. I've been to conferences where I've been the only black person and sometimes my specialty is dementia, you knew mm-hmm. that. And sometimes I go in to present and I can tell when that room is gonna get dead silent. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's always interesting. Am I uncomfortable? No, it's my job, I know my job. If I were put someplace that I might be uncomfortable, then I've learned to compensate for that because they do expect me to mess up. So I'm not going to mess up. Is that why you mean that they were silent? Is that they were waiting for you to do something wrong or they were just so stunned that there was an education? Well, sometimes it's the they're room. stunned that I'm black. Yeah. And sometimes the audience, if it's really a Southern audience, mm-hmm. they're waiting for me to make a mistake. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's disappointing. Well, it's, it, it's, it's the real world. That's mm-hmm. why I'm saying I do. I told you I do have hope now because doing all this marches and stuff, it used to be only black people you see marching mm-hmm. and some religious people mm-hmm. marching with them. Now you see every race, creed and color marching out there mm-hmm. for change. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to happen, but it's just taken so long to happen. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that the marches are um, heightening awareness, maybe in a way that people haven't been aware before. And just as you said, people are participating who might not have 10 years ago, 20 years Mm -hmm. ago. Another thing that's happening right now is the tearing down of statues. And we in Franklin have a statue that's pretty predominantly placed in our city. What is your sense of the statue situation? Well, I'm probably, my friends say I have a weird sense of statues. Yeah, in California, they tore down a a saint on on by, in front of some church because of the way he treated the native Indians. Right. And I Comparison. thought to myself, you're gonna tear down that statue because he treated native Indians one? What did you do to the Indians? That's when racism started. You stepped on this shore, they saved your life and you put them on reservations. Mm-hmm. Now tell me, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But my take on statues are, I, I took my kids when they were young they were born here. There was a big battle here, the mm-hmm. Civil War. I took them and I, and I told them everything that they needed to know. And then I told them, I said, then what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. I can't change history. There was a Civil War. My ancestors came, came over on both ships because I'm also English as well as Black. Mm-hmm. I said, but you know, there were slaves. What are you going to do with it? Now, this statue indicates what I'm telling you it indicates because the history books don't tell you the truth. You know, I had, I had a teacher one time tell me that slaves had to be happy because they were singing and dancing. And I looked at her and I mm-hmm. said, are you out of your mind? 
And she said, of course, she said, now you're trying to be insolent. I was 11 years old. I said, no, ma'am, I am not trying to be insolent. I'm asking you, are you out of your mind? Mm. I said, if you knew anything about slavery, that's the way slaves communicated to each other. Mm -hmm. That was their way. The church has always been their way to get away from what's going on. Mm. They didn't sing and dance because they were happy. They sung and danced because that was a way to communicate with each other that their slave owners didn't know what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And have you heard the words of the spiritual? <laughs> that <laughs> don't sound very happy. No, no, yeah. and and they, and they tell the tales of what was going on. Mm -hmm. If you listen to the old spirituals, the really old ones, they tell about trying to get away, yes. slipping away, leaving this area, that kind of stuff. And uh, she, of course, she reported me to my mom, and my mom asked her, "Was she crazy too?" But <laughs> That, that is the kind of thing that you have to kind of look at and say. But statues, I know it's offensive to a lot of people. They really are. But I think you need to educate people. And that one that you're talking about in Franklin, mm -hmm. Chip, mm -hmm. uh, they, they've been talking about that for a lot, and they mm -hmm. started a petition. But their answer, too, was they're going to put up a statue of a black soldier. Mm -hmm who was a part of the Civil War, who black men fought in the Civil War mm -hmm. on the side of the Union and everything. I said, you gotta balance out that history. Mm -hmm. You can't just do that. And the- Cause it's almost like as we tear them down, we're trying to erase that they ever existed. But you can't which, erase how history. How is that educating anybody? That you can't erase history. Yeah. But I understand how offensive some statues are. Sure. Because if you've got a man in the state capitol mm -hmm. that held the Ku Klux, that hit, led the Ku Klux Klan, that's a little offensive to everybody that walks into that state capitol. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bedford, he was the head of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. I don't care what else he did. He did that. Mm -hmm. And that's offensive to a lot of people. That's offensive to me. But I don't, I don't think you should tear him down. Put, him in, put these statues in museums mm -hmm. and stuff. You can't keep anything silent anymore. Mm -hmm. The cell phone is going to get it. Somebody mm -hmm. is going to have that little cell phone up there and they're going to be looking and they're going to be doing all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, that that's a that's a big thing. Tech that's the way technology is good. The rest mm -hmm. of it I say can stink. But anyway, <laughs> but honest to God, look at how much you've seen so much on TV about and and I don't blame every cop. To, cop. I have good friends that are police officers. They're good police officers. But you have to, you see what you see and you go, well, how mm -hmm. often did they get away with that? Mm -hmm. How often was that really not seen? Mm -hmm. But now they can't get away with it. Yeah. Even, even they're wearing body cameras, but they can turn those off. Mm -hmm. But how often are people treated that way? Mm -hmm because of the color of their skin. Mm. And my daughter just told me the other day she got stopped. And I said, what'd you get stopped for? You, were you speeding? She said, no, the policeman told me I look suspicious. Mm. So they ran, she has a brand new car. Mm. They ran her plates and everything and came back and said, uh, you can go now. And she said, she asked him, well, why was I stopped? You look suspicious. That's never happened. You're not black. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, why would my child 
looks suspicious because she's driving a new car. Right, exactly. Yeah. See, those are things that, that are so, so far out of the experience of many white people. And just as you said, walking, I actually can't walk in your shoes, but I, but I would like to think that a version of that is just listening to the stories and knowing that you're a credible witness. No, knowing you personally, I know that you are a person, a Christian, a Catholic in this world who has no interest other than educating other people. You spend your Sundays teaching seventh graders. Like, who wants to do that? That's <laughs> not something that, that people are inclined to do more often than not. Teenagers are kind of hard. But, you know, I know your heart. And so for you to tell these stories in a personal way, I think is a way that we can walk in your shoes a little bit. But it's also, I do not blame you for being white and not understanding. What I say is, and I'll say it to any white person is, you've got to stop and listen. Where do we go from here? I think yeah. I love hearing your stories because they're just eye-opening and jaw-dropping. And um, you obviously have such a wonderful spirit about yourself. So they're, they're um, I don't want to say they're enjoyable to hear, but they're, they're such an education, you know, for, for myself, but what do we do? That's always what I ask Fran when we, when we're talking about this or, you know, we've interviewed um, another lady and I'm just like, what, what do we do? Help, help me come up. I'm solution oriented and I know that I'm not going to solve this and we're not going to solve this. And, you know, this is going to be kind of a lifelong journey for many people, but what, where can we go? Is it just getting stories out? Do we tell more stories? Do we give more real life examples? Um, well, the real life examples work, but what can you do? You can vote. Yeah. If you don't like what's going on, vote. You've got people that have been in Congress that are older than me and been there longer than me. Mm -hmm. Well, we've done that. If you don't like what's going on, I taught my kids that you vote and, and pray. Mm -hmm. I mean, prayer changes things, but in that voter's box, you've got power. Mm -hmm. My youngest son, when he turned 21, he was raising all kinds of cane and stuff. I said, did you vote? No, I didn't vote because it doesn't make a difference. I said, then shut up. He looked at me and he said, what do you mean, mom? I can complain. I said, you didn't vote. You can't complain. Mm -hmm. He hasn't missed voting since then. <laughs> oh, boy, listening to his mom. Yeah, but the, but that's, that's the way I think it has to go. You can, you can do all the marches are good. All of that stuff is good. But if you do not vote, if you do not use that power of the val ballot, you're not going to change stuff. Mm -hmm. So can I ask, do you, do, do you feel like there's some legislation that we we can lobby for or um because because i feel like i agree with you i think i think voting is so important mm -hmm. and my, i met my husband in washington dc so we're definitely believe in the power of democracy and the people um but i also feel like gosh you gotta change hearts too you know um there's there's only so much legislation can do if hearts are just hardened well, like I said, like I told you, you're not going to change that. I, and I firmly believe prayer helps and all of that. But to try to change 
someone's heart, sometimes you're going to have to force them. And the only way you can force people is to put down laws. Mm -hmm. But they have to be equal and just laws. A lot of the laws we pass are not equal or just. And that's, that's the one thing where I'm telling, I tell all young people, you get out there and vote. If this is what you believe, this is what you've got to vote for, and this is what you've got to push. This has got to be the agenda you've got to push. I'm 72 years of age. I have pushed it for 72 years. It's time for that generation behind me to do the same thing. If you firmly believe this is something that is right and everybody else believes you wrong, then you get out there and you push for that. But like I said, I'm, I'm kind of positive about these kinds of things because of everybody who is listening. Mm -hmm. You know, before, like you said, before people didn't listen. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's really interesting that the conversations that come up that I have been involved in here lately, and it, it's kind of interesting that my friends will ask me for <laughs> And I say, I'm not an expert on that, but um, it is causing people to stop and look. Mm -hmm. It may not change their heart. Like I said, you don't have to like everybody. God says we have to love everybody. And whether you like this person or not, you do it because it's right. Mm -hmm. And we say that all the time, like in the, in the pro-life circles of, you know, yes, it, it would be really, really good if we could change everybody's hearts to recognize the dignity of the unborn. That would be awesome. But we do have to have laws that are actionable to protect lives that are vulnerable. That's like correct. that's something that we have to do. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. It's definitely what happened for slavery. Like we didn't just wait until everyone just suddenly had a heart softened to realize that that slaves were equal human beings under the constitution. We changed the law to make it happen so that these people who always had the dignity of a human person were recognized under the law as having dignity. Um, what are specific things that you see we can do, um, just as Tracy said, legislatively or just actionably today that would that would not alleviate racism, but like other than just go vote, like what are we voting for? What are we what are we trying to do? You're trying to make I think you're really trying to make a change in the legislation. You're trying to make it fair and equal. I'm not asking you to give me something. I'm I'm asking you to fairly treat me mm -hmm. why like do i have to be laws. like my daughter said why does she have to be four times as good as her job mm -hmm. as somebody that's white who's not as good as, her, as mm -hmm. she is at her job but but they get the appointment where she doesn't mm -hmm. i want you to treat me fairly as a human being mm -hmm. you know i have the education i have all of that i have the credentials why am i passed over how can we do better as the church that's a good question because <laughs> I have problems with with sometimes with the church and black Catholics. Mm -hmm. What um, kind of problems? Okay. They are coming out to say that the church could do more for their African American leaders. Mm -hmm. Like I told you, St. Vincent mm -hmm. is a predominantly black church. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have some white members, mm -hmm. but not, not really. They're in Nashville. 
Those people, you talk about parish, we go to St. Philip's because we mm-hmm. live in Franklin. Mm-hmm. Those people come from all over Nashville mm-hmm. for to community. go for, for that mm-hmm. because that was the church that accepted them. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't accepted. Like I told you at St. Philip's, if it hadn't been for Father Cunningham, we probably wouldn't have been accepted. He was open. Father Arnold has always been open. I mean, mm-hmm. he'd just tell you to get out if you didn't mm-hmm. like something. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, People still feel that they're not wanted. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh. I'll tell you a little story about when we would go to uh, Smoky Mountains, mm-hmm. we'd go to Mass. And believe me, there are not much black Catholics in the Smoky Mountains. And we'd go to Mass, and they'd always take us to the front of the church. And my kids would go, Why are we sitting up front? You know, I mean, it was, it's, a, the kids laugh about that today. They say, we, we never like to go to church there because on Sundays when we travel, we got a mass. And uh, it, it was really funny because they said, they always want us to sit in the front, mom. <laughs> but, but because they, of overcompensation. That's right. Yeah. They were being, hard. they were trying to show us that we were welcome, yeah. that we were, you know, that that was the kind of thing that they did to show you were welcome. We the kids kind of took it as, God, I can't even do anything. I'm up here at the front of the yeah. church. Mom's gonna hit me if I do anything anyway. And here I am sitting in the front of the church. Especially Robert when he was four and five. Robert liked to tear down the church. I had to tell him at St. Phil's all the time, stop running, do not run and stuff. And he's sitting up at the front of the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But those are the kind of examples yeah. that I say. And it's it's changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is because it's just been, it's actually been brought out. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I think that things are changing even in our church. Mm-hmm. But yes, once again, you walk in the shoes of a black Catholic and they'll tell you there were places they were not welcome. Mm-hmm. And you would think, well, this is, this is the church. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't live here when because I didn't go to school here, when they did the integration mm-hmm. with Father Ryan and, and they played the first black basketball game mm-hmm. with the Pearl Cone High School. Well, it was Pearl High School then. That was a big thing. Mm-hmm. My mama sent me the papers and everything. That was a big thing. Mm-hmm. That bishop took a chance. He sure did. There were a whole bunch of kids that didn't go back to Father Ryan. Mm-hmm. I bet so. Because of that. That, that's that's a point. So my children go to Father Ryan, and that's one of the things that they're taught, like their freshman year of the history of integration. Um, and that's a, I mean, that's a that's a badge of honor mm-hmm. for for those kids. And I feel like it's still because uh, you said that you're. I, I love the story. I don't think we told it on the air, but you told the story of one of your kids going to Father Ryan and having like not had the experience of racism. That was Robert. That, that's my youngest. He until he got Ryan. to college, because I feel like that's something that this particular Catholic school prides itself on is inclusion and the, the fact that you know your black son in the South did not experience that kind of racism until college is bonkers to me and su- su- such a beautiful thing. I mean, thank God that was his experience. Well, well. Catholic schools tend to tend to coddle their kids. Yeah. And I can say that my kids went to Catholic school. They tend to coddle their kids. They are a family. Yes. Everybody, no matter what color you are, are part of that family mm-hmm. and stuff. That's not the real world. Yeah. And sometimes Is that I good think, or bad? What do you I think? think for formative years is good. Okay, good. Protecting but, our children when they're young. Yeah. Okay. But I think we have to teach them the truth. What were you gonna say? 
I'd much rather my kids be shocked when they get out in the real world and realize that that is not appropriate because that was not how they were raised and that was not their experiences with their friends. And, and I, I mean, I'd much rather it be like, I don't want them to be hardened when, when they get to college, I'd much rather them, like you said, be, um, learn inclusiveness at a young age. And so that it surprises them when they're older so that they can do something about it. You know, I feel like if, if you're so used to it, by the time you get older, you're kind of like, man, that's just life. You know, I want them to be like, that's not, well, if you're if you're a black boy, son, a black man, you're used to it. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I gave my son the talk when he was little. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew when he got to be a teenager and started driving, he knew what to do if a policeman pulled him right. over. He knew all of that. He it wasn't the matter, but he was coddled. Mm-hmm. He had never been hit in the face with racism. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he went to school with every color. And Creed, you know, there are a lot of Jewish kids at St. at uh, Father Ryan and stuff. So, and there are a lot of non-Catholic kids at Father Ryan. So they're kind of an international kind of thing. And he knew, but when he got to college was when he was actually smacked with racism right in the face. I mean, he knew about it. Like I told the story of going to church and, and, um, the Smoky Mountains, mm-hmm. but that didn't bother him because he just thought he he just thought he'd look around the church and we'd only black people in there. So he and I and I used to joke with them. I said, now when you go in some place like that, they're gonna set you up front. Why, mom? Because remember, Rosa Parks did not want to sit in the back of the bus, and they'd go, oh, okay, mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the first time they integrated restaurants in the South. When you went into a restaurant as a black family and we ate out, they always put you at the table of prominence. That's so interesting. I had no idea about that. <laughs> look, some, look sometimes. <laughs> See what you said. But not, not now. Yeah. Not now. Yeah. It's okay. But when they first started hmm. integrating the restaurants in the South, like if you went, if we went downtown to Mayor Bulls or something, mm-hmm. that was one of my mom's favorite restaurants. It's so good. We always got set. You know that center table that's really pretty? I do know that's that where table. we sat. Because <laughs> they wanted everybody to see. Did they have a buffet then? Could you go to the buffet more easily? <laughs> they they wanted everybody to see that they weren't that treating they were us inclusive. any different. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't sit us in the back or they wouldn't mm-hmm. sit us over here by the bathroom or something like that because they wanted people to know mm-hmm. in this restaurant, you're not treated any differently. That's subtle. Mm-hmm. But of course, Black families pick up on it. How I mean, does that you probably feel? Did. did you did you appreciate the effort, or did you feel like, uh, it's a little much, or I wish you had done it differently? <laughs> I, it after a while, it was kind of laughable, uh-huh. and uh, because my father knew most of the, my father was a chef too mm-hmm. when he retired. He knew most of the the uh, people that cooked in those restaurants mm-hmm. and stuff. It was really funny, and he said. Hmm, wonder who's cooking back there tonight. They're probably not doing this, this, this. <laughs> so it got to it got to be a joke. Yeah. Well, now you know you go, they sit you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But when they first opened up, that's the way they did it. And they wanted, I don't know if they really wanted to prove a point yeah. that we're doing this the way we're supposed mm-hmm. because they were forced to do it. Sure. Now remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. the law said they yeah. were forced to do it. Right. So I don't, I don't think they wanted people to go out and say, you didn't get that treatment. Mm-hmm. 
this is my restaurant. You didn't get that treatment, mm-hmm. you know, types of things because restaurants live on word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, I, I just thought about that when you said that, that was really, it was funny to us. That, well, that's, I mean, it's good that you took it with a sense of humor. Cause I can see that, you know, when we talk to our kids about like, um, changing a vice into a virtue, like changing something in their life that they're doing wrong and trying to do better. It's never good enough just to shoot for the middle. Like we're like swing that pendulum to the other side. So I'm like, if you're being selfish, I want you to start practicing, making sure that you are the last person to do everything. I want to make sure that, that you are sharing everything that you have. If there is the, if there's only enough ice cream for one person, give it to someone else. Because if you're acting selfishly, you need to spend, you need to, to, again, push that pendulum to the other end. And so I feel like that's kind of what you're describing is like our society, or at least these people in these restaurants and in these churches, probably were pushing the pendulum so far to the other side that it felt weird in the hopes that maybe it would come back to the center and that there would be this sense of equality and inclusion. And I, I really think now, now I'm looking at my grandchildren, they've got to be a lot more exposed to the real world now, I'm not going to throw two 10-year-olds out there in the yes. real world, yeah. but they have lots of questions about what's going on now. Yeah. And like I told you, my son-in-law is white, so my kids are multiracial, mm-hmm. my grandchildren are. And uh, they have they have a lot of questions. And they have, Danny and Lily are no dummies mm-hmm. by any means. They're very smart. And they have a lot of questions about, well, what do I say when somebody says they don't like me? Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They they've even at 10 years of age they've been exposed to it although they've been kept away from it mm-hmm. a lot and stuff and uh, with this they're even having conversations with their friends because their friends are, are all ethnicity thing mm-hmm. and you know how do you feel uh, about this and and uh do you think I'm different from you? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. type of thing. I mean, that's what 10 year olds yeah, say. About. I love the innocence, the innocence of those questions. Yeah. I think that that's so important. And I wish that more people had, I wish more people were given the benefit of the doubt when they do ask questions out of innocence or ignorance. I mean, either one, they're, they're not coming from a place of hatred. They're coming from a place of unknowing. Well, when faith was little, you, by now, you know, I've raised outrageous children. They speak their mind. <laughs> When Faith was little, she went to Harper's Academy, mm-hmm. which is the lower school of BGA mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And she was the first black child that went to Harper's Academy. And this little boy, when she was in kindergarten, asked her, and he was being, I mean, he wasn't being anything. He said, Faith, are you the same color all over? Mm-hmm. And Faith said, yeah, I am, except for my hands and my feet. You know, they're kind of light color. <laughs> and the teacher I want to tell you something, Daisy, she said, because I don't want this to get out of hand. Mm -hmm. And when she told me, I said, well, what did they say? She told me what they said. I said, that's an innocent child who's never seen a black person that far up close who asked a question. Mm -hmm. Did Faith get mad? She said, no. Did Faith get upset? She said, no. She said she did take her shoes and socks off and show them the bottom of her feet. I said, it's over with. Leave it alone. It's over with. But the teacher became more sensitive yeah, yeah. with that because of what he had asked. Yeah. But that's an innocent remark. Yeah. And Faith didn't pay any attention to it. She just went on about her well, and, and what a testament to your parenting <laughs> that that was your child's response. Because I don't know in today's culture that children um, who are watching the news, who are watching the hate and the the just vitriol that is that is pervasive in our media 
are being taught, listen, you know, respond in kindness, respond in truth, respond without anger. Um, you know, we, we referenced uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and that was his whole message. Yeah. And that's what you teach the kids every MLK, MLK yeah. the Sunday right before yeah. the, the, yeah. the Monday. Yeah. That's what you try to communicate to the kids and obviously you did that with your mm -hmm. children. Well, yes, I did that with my children and I'm not gonna tell you my children were perfect. They did get into some scrapes coming up, uh, but most of the time, they responded with kindness. Mm -hmm. My grandchildren, they respond with kindness because that's what they've been taught. Yeah. You know, hating only hurts the person that hates. Yeah. And as I told you, sometimes I consider the source and keep on going. So yeah. yep. I don't even respond. Yeah. Well, we're considering the source today. Okay. You have been so gracious and kind and generous with your time. I know that you are a busy nurse. This is your day to do all the things that you have to do in your life and you gave us so much of your oh, time. Oh no, that's fine. I, I really enjoyed this because it's a time that I can share some of the things that I believe that I have taught my children. Mm -hmm. And you don't know my children, but mm -hmm. uh, many people at church know my kids and they know that I've always taught them that. I mean, they, they, they are apart and they never felt they never felt uncomfortable at St. Philip's. I That's mean, they went through all the stuff that even though Robert was in Catholic school, mm -hmm. that was the big that was the big thing that really when Robert was little, Robert went to St. Vincent. So Sister Joanne, who was his principal, said, well, he's going to have his first communion here. And he's going to, I said, no, he's not. He's going to have it at St. Philip's. That's his church. But I have, I said, I know. He also went through the program at St. Philip's. And Robert used to say, yep, I got double teaching about first communion. I got double <laughs> teaching about first, <laughs> first penance. And I said, of course you did. You belong to this parish. Mm -hmm. And he'd say, I know, Mom. I'm going with my friends. I know, Mom. I'm gonna do it. But it was, it was, it was kind of like a, yeah. a pull or a Yeah, I appreciate the complications <laughs> in going to school, religion class, and going to religion class too. So I appreciate Robert's perspective in that regard. Well, he thought he was over religious at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little too much of a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, I just want to thank you for uh, the opportunity to talk to you today, but most especially for the opportunity to have listened to your story now, I guess, two years ago. And obviously it stuck with me um, and has impressed upon me um, the need to expose our children to these stories and, and ourselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are stories that I hadn't heard before yeah. and they've, they've changed my perspective. And just as you said, it's good to walk in other people's shoes. It's good to see through other people's eyes. And it's just good to listen uh, to the words coming out of other people's mouths when it's from, from, from a perspective that we're not familiar with. And yeah. you did that for me today. Well, well, you're more than welcome and I enjoyed it. I always enjoy telling the stories of my childhood because you guys are grown, but you should see some of the reactions of seventh graders <laughs> when I tell them that. <laughs> they find out I'm not perfect. You know, I threw popcorn on people's heads. I dumped drink on people's heads. I walked out of an emergency room with blood. Yeah. But 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 she went the, back. But in the end, they understand mm -hmm. what being a Christian is. Mm -hmm. And for me, not only being a Christian, I just told you it's three strikes. I'm black, I'm Catholic, and I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. They understand that I'm still going to practice my faith. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people say, well, the church did this, I'm leaving, or that priest did that, I'm leaving. That's not my faith. 
I'm going to practice my faith. And I'm going to tell you I'm Catholic. Most of my patients, and we'll wrap up with mm -hmm. this, but most of my patients are Southern Baptist. We're in the Babel Belt. <laughs> and I, I am in the country. Fairview and Dixon and all those places, that is the country. And if you will excuse me, that is redneck country. Mm -hmm. And my patients that go, I'll go and see my patients and stuff. And uh, they'll say, will you pray with me? And I said, of course, I'll pray with you. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, what, where do you go to church? I said, St. Philip's. And they'll look at me and they'll say, well, what religion are you? I said, I'm Catholic. You know how to pray? Shopping <laughs> <laughs> left and right. <laughs> But most of the time, it's because they never, I have friends of mine that I took into the church when Robert was, when Robert confirmation was, they were shocked. They went, people are so friendly. They shake hands. You all said the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going, what do you think we <laughs> you do at church? Jesus. <laughs> what do you think we do at church? So I always say the prayer, the Lord's Prayer mm -hmm. with my patients because I know they don't know some of the prayers that them but I had uh one patient that was Catholic now listen to this she was Catholic and her husband was a was a Baptist minister oh wow and when she was dying her sons came to me and they said Miss Daisy mom's asking to pray that special prayer and they didn't know it mm -hmm. because she always went to Catholic mm -hmm. church, but her kids were raised Baptist. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't argue with pastor. her husband. Yeah. That was pastor. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, what special prayer, guys? She said, you know that special prayer that we pray, that you all pray? And I, I'm trying to figure out what special prayer we pray. And then he brought the rosary beads. I said, mm -hmm. oh, the rosary. He said, yes, mom wants you to pray it with her. And I know you know it because you're Catholic. So we had the rosary. I taught them the rosary. I said, well, we're going to all say it together because your mom wants you to say it together. And we all said it together. And uh, she passed away. And they, they thanked me. They said, we didn't know that special prayer, Miss mm -hmm. Daisy. She said, well, we know it now. We'll, 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 we'll remember it because mom would want us to remember it. Mm -hmm. But I could not figure out to the life of me what special prayer they were talking about. Because, I mean, we say the same prayers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff but that was that was an example for me mm -hmm. to learn mm -hmm. you know and stuff and I mean her sons were very adamant these were four marines they were very adamant that I was going to say this prayer <laughs> you were not going to leave that house until you figure out what the special prayer is <laughs> but it was but it was a good experience for me and you're talking about teaching seventh grade mm -hmm. every year I say I'm not coming back but I learn a lot more from the kids mm -hmm. too because kids in this generation don't sound short. They know a lot. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're a saint and a special, special, special person to be able to take that on and, and do it so well. And I think you would be sorely missed if you ever decided not to go back to teaching. It's, it sounds like you're a legend at, at church. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. Well, I'm going back, but you know, with the Kobe, yeah. they asked who was coming back and they asked how you were going to teach. And mm -hmm. I said in person mm -hmm. and everybody was laughing. I said, I don't know how to Zoom. I don't do Facebook. I don't even know what TikTok is. And they were <laughs> ask our, our producer back there. He knows what I'm saying. <laughs> I said, but I'll teach whichever way y'all go. <laughs> 
Well, Miss Daisy, we always end our podcast with something called a last little bit. Okay. Meaning that we can never stop talking. Like this could go on. Like you said, you needed to be gone yeah. in an hour and a half. Guess what? For two minutes. That's okay. <laughs> That's why she was calling me. That's okay. Um, uh, but is there anything else that you would like, just one last little bit that you'd like to say, um, just as we close up this podcast, um, any, anything that you'd like to share, anything that, that's on your heart, any word of encouragement for those listening? Well, I think my words of encouragement would be just what I told you guys. You have to vote to make changes. And I think changes are going to be made. And just like you said, can we change heart and hearts? We can't change heart and hearts, but we can pray. Mm -hmm. And prayer makes a big difference. I'm sorry. I, I firmly believe that prayer makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. We're going to pray. Mm -hmm. We're going to work. We're going to vote. We're going to follow your advice. Thank you for talking to us today. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> it's great. All right. All right. Well, have a good day, everybody. Are we going to do a last little bit? Do you have a last little bit for you? I was just going to give mine to Miss Daisy. I'm, I'm giving mine. Sure she, <laughs> she said it all. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And I hope we can do this again because it's been yeah. such a joy. And um, I hope you get out and do what you need to do today and, and have a good day. Oh, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye, Tracy. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true good and beautiful. Thank you.